0: All right, so this is always a hard transition to go from like breakfast cereal to like Jesus and his word, but uh, we're gonna do it. Uh, my name's Jordan, like Steven said, and I'm from Candeo Church. So Candeo is a church plant just like this church is. Uh, there was a season of life where uh, we were in uh, high schools and middle schools setting up, tearing down. Uh, and I remember when we got our first space, it was a warehouse as a t-shirt printing company that we turned their space into a church. And so this is this is new to you guys, right? This space, you guys liking it? Feel like home yet? Yeah. yeah, I just remember when it was like, I think we're at the middle school this week, and it was like, no, no, this is our home, and uh, it was an awesome transition. So I'm loving your guys' space. I hope you guys love it also, but uh, I am an Iowa boy through and through. I was born and raised in Iowa, and yes, it is freezing in Iowa. I looked at uh, my phone today, and uh, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, where we're from, uh, when I looked at it, it was zero degrees, and with wind chill—do I need to explain wind chill? With wind, with wind chill, it felt like negative 18. That's the number you want to look at. What does it feel like? And some of you guys are like, I don't even have a category for negative 18. So negative 18 is this, you walk outside and immediately everything hurts. Just like fingers and toes, and your job is to go to your car and scrape all the ice and snow so you can open it, get the cold start and get going. It's a magical experience. And, uh, and you wanna cry with the pain, but don't cry because the tears freeze. It's just one of those things. Uh, so yes, we are loving Florida right now. We got here Friday, we leave Monday, and I have posted zero things on social media because I want to have friends when I get back to Iowa. They would all hate me if they saw what I was doing. So uh, it's a del- delight to be here because of the weather, but it's a delight to be here because uh, we love the Rices. We love the Sabinos. Like Steven said, they became some of our best friends uh, when they were in Iowa. And then The Sabinos, I did, in my past season of life, I was a physical therapist, I did Paul's rehab when he partially tore his ACL playing racquetball, that's how I got to know him, and then when he brought me into ministry part-time as youth director, Josiah, Ellie, and Claire were in the youth ministry, if you know Josiah, Ellie, and Claire Sabino, were in the youth ministry, I was their youth director back in the day in high school, middle school, so we've come a long ways, uh, and it's good uh, to be here tonight. Last week, Stephen talked uh, in John chapter 10 about Jesus saying, I am the gate. Tonight is going to be kind of part two of John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go to John chapter 10, or if you want to pull up uh, the Bible app or whatever, that's where we'll be tonight. I say part two, but if you missed part one last week, you won't be lost. I'll catch you up to speed. Uh, But what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to continue the narrative or the metaphor talking about sheep and shepherds. So that's where we're at tonight. Uh, Stephen went through the first 10 verses, uh, and I'm going to pick us up in verse 11. So let me read about half of this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. All right. Sheep shepherds. Shepherds back then in the Palestine world would have been a very familiar profession and concept to those people. A lot of people were shepherds back then. On top of that, Jesus is talking right now to uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they would have been also very aware of the Old Testament where God in Psalm 23 specifically refers to himself as the shepherd. So they would have been very familiar with it, but us today, we don't really talk about shepherds much, right? Unless it's like Christmas time, we don't talk about shepherds. So the question is, what are sheep and what are shepherds? All right, so let's talk sheep first. One of our elders at Candale, Matt Hofer, helped me out with this one. But on the surface, sheep look uh, really cute, right? Uh, I got a picture of a sheep here, right? Cute. I'm realizing, Burke, we did not go through slides before this. I'm glad that popped up. I didn't know it was going to show up. Yes, that is a sheep. It's cute. It's awesome. Uh, but the thing about sheep in the animal kingdom uh if you're not familiar, they are not the sharpest tool in the tool shed, uh, I'll say that. You have to keep an eye on them. So uh, Heath, one of our other elders, said that his dad, who's a farmer, one of his first jobs was he would have to walk the fence line and pull out any sheep that had gotten their head stuck in the fence. So I got a picture of this. See that? So that, that they just like poke their head through and go, oh no. And then they're just stuck, and they don't know what to do. And so like a jaw, like his dad's first job was to go through and like push their head through, right? So that's that's sheep. Uh, But then on top of that, they can get something called cast down, right? I got another picture here. This is what happens when a sheep is cast down. So what happens is that they lie down on the ground in this like little depression, and they get super comfortable, and then like gravity starts taking over, and they panic. And before they know it, they're on their back and they like don't know how to get up. They don't know what to do. But it's like, it's actually a really big problem uh, because gas will build up in their gut and so they'll like lose circulation and like maybe a day later they're dead. So that's like, that's actually a pretty big problem. A sheep can lie down and then a day later, you're like, they, they died? This is what, no, so imagine like prey predator, right? Imagine a wolf walking by and looking at that going, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like you'd be looking for cameras. Am I getting punked right now? Is that dinner that's waiting for me? So sheep are helpless. They're vulnerable. They lie down, they get stuck, and they die. They're vulnerable to the world around them. So that's sheep. Now let's talk about shepherds. What's the role of the shepherd then? Well, a good shepherd constantly has to keep his eye on the sheep and take care of them, supervise them, safety, feed the sheep, protect them. A good shepherd, The good ones are willing to do anything for the sheep, including risking their life. Uh, And it says in this passage, a hired hand. What does a hired hand do? He runs in the face of danger because he's just in it to get paid. He doesn't actually care for the sheep. Hired hand runs from danger. A good shepherd stands his ground. The sheep need a shepherd who is full of strength and courage to protect them. So you go, okay, well, what's an example of like an actual good, like a person who lived who was a good shepherd? Well, you can go to the Old Testament and go to King David. Before he was king, he was literally a shepherd and a really good one at that. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to real quick go back to the Old Testament here. We are going to go to uh, 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to turn this there. This will be on the screen. Um, But you're probably, most of you might be familiar with David and Goliath, right? David, the young boy comes and kills the massive person, Goliath. What's happening right now is he shows up onto the battlefield. His brothers are already there, and and, uh, he's like, hey, what's going on? And they explain the situation. So he goes to King Saul and says this. "Uh, What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. And David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine, this Goliath. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. So Saul's doubting David. He's like, you got a massive guy warrior since youth and you're just this little guy, this little shepherd boy. So so David drops his resume on Saul. David answers Saul, "Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down and kill it." Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me for the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Let's talk about that for a second. Who, who in their right mind, if you're watching your sheep and a lion comes and grabs your sheep or a bear comes and grabs it, goes, I'm going to go after that. I'm gonna go chase that down and grab it. Nobody's thinking that, right? Like if I saw a bear come grab one of them little sheep and run off, I'd go, "Well, he can't win them all," (laughs) you know. I'll tell Dad that we lost sheep number seventeen today, I guess. Um, But that wasn't this guy, right? Not only did he chase it down, he grabbed it by its fur and killed the stinking thing. So imagine, just imagine for a second, meeting this guy in class tomorrow, right? So, so you're sitting in class and you're like, "Hey, man, you seem new. What's your name?" And uh, he goes, hey, uh, my name's David. And he goes, hey, man, that's, that's awesome. Uh, how's your week been going? And he goes, yeah, well, uh, man, just the other day, um, yesterday, I was, I was at my, you know, uh, my dad's pasture watching over his flock. And this lion came out of nowhere and took one of the sheep uh, and ran off with it. So I, I ran after it, you know. And, uh, uh, and when I got to it, I, grabbed, I was able to grab the sheep out of his mouth, and uh, the lion made the mistake of rearing up and wanting to attack me, so I grabbed it by its mane, threw it down, and killed it. Um, So the the sheep, you know, he's all right. Uh, I'm a little, uh, like, tired and sore, but it's been a pretty good week so far. Totally, totally. I did 150 pounds on the bench yesterday at Rec Center, so I'm also feeling a little tired. You know, a little sore. I hear you, man. Like, who does that? Like, that guy has the most respect on anybody on campus. This is David. He is a good shepherd. He cared for his flock and he risked his life. He went after the bear, he went after the lion. Didn't matter what the threat was. So, think of that, the good, that good shepherd, and picture that as you hear Jesus' words as he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The religious leaders, they were the hired hands. They could care less about the sheep. They cared about their own safety. But Jesus is not only a shepherd, he is the good shepherd. David was one of many imperfect shepherds, but Jesus was the one and only good shepherd. And if you haven't connected the dots yet, we are the sheep. We're the sheep. Listen to this quote by Philip Keller. It is not an accident that God has chosen to call us sheep, The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, and our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. We are like sheep. And one thing that's true about sheep is that they rarely rest. Okay, So, so think about this. They have predators all around them, lions, wolves, bears, wherever you're at. And so they, they don't rest much. They're always on alert, right? Uh, I, I looked on a BBC article. In 2018 in the Netherlands, there's, uh, apparently there's about 800,000 sheep. But in that year, 13,000 of those sheep were killed by dogs or wolves. In one incident, just one wolf killed 12 sheep and injured 14 more that ended up having to be, get, to, to be put down. One wolf did that. Which, if you're a sheep, what are you going to do? What, like if a wolf's running at you, what are you gonna do? You're done. You just fall on your back, I guess. That's all they have, right? That's, that's it, you're, you're done for. It's, uh, so here we go, right? Uh, it's a little bit like in 2019, I looked this up, uh, the Florida Gators played a team called UT Martin. Had never heard of them. Uh, apparently their mascot is the Skyhawk. Don't even know what a Skyhawk is. I'm more confused by that than the Nittany Lion thing. Um, but what was the final score? 45 to zero, gators, right? Sheep, wolf, go gators. Uh, (laughs) So because of constant danger, right, with wolves all around them, in order for them to rest, they need to be free from danger and fear, which means sheep without a shepherd, they're not resting much. They're full of anxiety, fear. There's no peace in their life. They're always looking around. So we think, man, what a bummer for the sheep. It's a bummer deal for the sheep. But isn't this true of all of us? When uncertainty is in our lives, it can lead to a ton of anxiety, fear, and worry. Should I ask her out? What will she say? What happens if I don't get married? What happens if I don't get that grade on that test? What happens if I don't get the job I'm looking for out of college? Millions of things can worry us. For me, I can worry about uh, paying off our student debt and paying that off quickly. And, and where are we at with our checking account? Where are we at with our savings account? I can worry about COVID stuff. Okay, that person, okay, so they got direct contact in 48 hours. Where was I with it? I can worry about things. We all do. So what do people do when we worry? Well, we try to cure the worry or fear with things of this world, and we look in all the wrong places. We look to relationships. If I can just date that person, they will bring me rest. They will care for me. They will protect me. If I can date them and maybe someday marry them. I, I am telling you guys right now, soul Company, marriage, I'm married, stuck, Right? Babe, where'd you go? Yep. So I'm married. Marriage is a great gift. It is a great gift. Marriage is a horrible idol. It's the number one thing Casey and I will tell people when we do premarital counseling with others if, if you put the weight of the world on your spouse's shoulder, you will watch them crumble. They're not God, they can't take the weight. You treat your spouses like they're the good shepherd. They'll crumble underneath your expectations. Relationships. How about school or career? If I get an A in this class, if I get that internship, if I get that job, then I'll find rest. I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. It's going to fix all my problems. It'll protect me. What happens when you don't get that job? Or what happens when you do get that job, but it's still not enough? It's still not doing for you what you want it to. Career. What about money? If I make this amount of money, then I'll find rest and peace. You see that all over in our culture today. Uh, Politics. I watched something really weird happen in um, our church this past uh, fall semester. I watched people who who had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whose primary identity should have been the person of Jesus Christ, and their identity flipped. And their lead foot became this political party, this politician. They're putting all their hope and stock in this person or this party. Now, yes, we need to care about uh, our nation. I promise you, you put your hope in that thing, it's going to let you down. It will let you down. What is it for you? What is the thing that's going to take care of you in this life? Who or what is it? Who are you looking to? Who's the guardian? What's the protector? Where's the safe haven in your life? And if you can't think of who or what that is, as Jake Heron, one of our elders, would say, there's a good chance you're looking to yourself to be your own good shepherd. You got it covered. You don't need help. Uh, Tonight, I want to give you the spoiler alert that all these things I just talked about will let you down. They will never fully protect you and care for you like you want. Now, I have to always create an asterisk whenever I talk about anything like this. Marriage is a great thing. Marriage is great, right, babe? We're good? Yep. If, this, if our marriage is crumbling, this would be a bit awkward. We're doing good. Marriage is awesome. Great gift, right? Money's not a bad thing. Very neutral thing can be used for good or evil. Work hard in your uh, class. Get a job. Work hard. Do these things. They are great things. The problem becomes when you look to these things to become your ultimate rest. They all crumble. you spend your whole life restless and anxious looking for the next thing to give you peace. Jesus here in John 10 is saying, stop it. Stop looking everywhere else. I am the one you're looking for. I am him. Jesus is not one of many shepherds. He's not one of many answers. He is the shepherd. He is the answer for your weary soul." Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's got it taken care of. When you follow him, you can calm down and relax in life. He takes care of everything and has everything under control. Listen to me tonight, Saul company. If you have Jesus and that's it, you lack nothing. You have everything you need in the person of Jesus Christ. We are the sheep. We need a shepherd. Without a, sheep, without a shepherd, we're done. We are the sheep that is cast down, flipped upside down, helpless. And this sounds so simple. Just follow the shepherd. But some of us are so proud that we're, we just think we're good, right? Like, we got this under control, but you're not good. You, me, we all need the good shepherd. We need Jesus. Our call as sheep is to follow the shepherd, He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. We need to follow our good shepherd. The big idea tonight, if you're a note taker, we are vulnerable sheep who can find rest in our good shepherd. We are vulnerable sheep who can find rest in our good shepherd. Jesus' promise is, I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will hold on to you. There's no need to fear. I am the good shepherd. He continues in in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That is a promise you can cling to. And who's the one doing the holding? Jesus, not us. Our good shepherd. True rest is not found in the things of this earth. True rest is found in the good shepherd. He protects his sheep. He cares for his sheep, but on top of all that, he lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 17, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Let's talk about this phrase, lay down my life. This is very unique to John and his writing. He says it five times in a little bit different ways in this passage. When when Jesus repeats something five times, we've got to slow down and pay attention. Let's talk about David again. David was a good shepherd. He was. He was a good shepherd. He risked his life for his sheep. Jesus did not risk his life for his sheep. Let me say that again. Jesus did not risk his life for his sheep. He voluntarily laid it down. There's a difference. You risk your life. You're expecting to stay alive on the other side of that risking of your life. You voluntarily lay it down. You expect to die. Laid down is very intentional wording. It shows who is in control. Jesus throughout the gospels is not a helpless victim. Nobody takes his life from him without permission from him. It's all voluntary. So when you hear, I will lay down my life. Or when you hear things like, Jesus died on the cross. I'm not sure what comes to your mind. That's a a phrase that you hear in Christian culture community right Jesus died for your sins he died on the cross I just want to ask the question tonight do you do you know what happened on that cross this is essential to our Christian faith uh, and tonight I want you to understand the weight of um, of what I want to say uh, and if you're a believer tonight and and you go I I, I know the cross I I get it. Yeah, I put my trust in the cross. Um, The cross is not Christianity 101. The cross is the air that we breathe, Christian. It's what we go to every day. And so tonight, I want to take you into the deep end of the pool. Uh, Not long ago, I was in a seminary class and I was reading Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, this massive book. Uh, On theology, Uh, and I remember where I was when I was reading his chapter on atonement. I was at my house at 400 Woodbridge, and I never thought reading a systematic theology book that I would get emotional. I remember sitting at the little table at my house in the kitchen area, like ready to cry, reading a systematic theology book. I don't cry. I've, my wife seen me cry like three times. This is just—it was like it like, caught me off guard. I was not expecting for Jesus to take me into this depths of water of the gospel. And tonight we're going to do that. Uh, there is four components of the gospel that I want you to understand tonight. The first is this: uh, the physical pain of the cross. Uh, you have to understand that crucifixion was one of the most horrible forms uh, of execution in Jesus' day. Um, the criminals were flogged first, uh, and the way they would do that, they would take a whip, uh, and interweave bones and sharp objects and beat the criminal as they're tied to a post until their back was ribbons of flesh. And then they would take them, uh, to the cross and they would nail a nail through the wrist, uh, and it would likely hit what's called the median nerve, um, PT background, right? Carpal tunnel syndrome. You get the the median nerve pinch. It causes pain in the hand. A nail was driven through that in between the radius and the ulna to support the weight. On top of that, nail in through the ankles to hold the weight. And Grudem says this. Let me just read this for you. Um, It says, When the criminal's arms are outstretched and fastened by nails to the cross, he had to support most of the weight of his body with his arms. The chest cavity would be pulled upward and outward, making it difficult to exhale in order to draw a fresh breath. But when the victim's longing for oxygen became unbearable, he would have to push himself up with his feet, thus giving more natural support to the weight of his body, releasing some of the weight from his arms and enabling his chest cavity to contract more normally. By pushing himself upward in this way, the criminal could fend off suffocation, but it was extremely painful because it required putting the body's weight on the nails, holding the feet, and bending the elbows and pulling upward in the nails driven to the wrists. The criminal's back, which had been torn open repeatedly by a previous flogging, would scrape against the wooden cross with each and every breath. Can't breathe. Pull up. Breathe. Calm down. Shredded back, going up and down on a rugged tree, fighting for every breath. Modern medical explanation said the most common result of death or reason for death on the cross was shock or suffocation. But here's the craziest part of the cross. I think a lot of us, when we hear Jesus died on a cross, we stop with the physical. And although although the physical was horrific in what I just described, I think as we go deeper, we'll find that each of these components actually might have been and were worse. On top of the physical pain was the psychological pain of bearing sin. Isaiah 53.12 says that Jesus bore the sins of many. Maybe you hear things like Jesus bore our guilt and our shame. We know what it feels like when we've done something wrong. The guilt and shame that will pile up in our stomach. Right? The, the more we screw up and the more we come, become like Jesus in our walk with Christ, the more we feel this. So how much more would the perfect person of Jesus Christ feel that guilt of sin? The guilt of sin was transferred to the innocent, spotless Son of God. All that Jesus hated most deeply was poured out fully upon him. So there was the physical pain, there was the psychological pain, but then there was the reality of the abandonment on the cross. All of those things I just described were escalated by the reality that Jesus was alone. The disciples who had been following him for three years completely scattered. Like they never knew their shepherd. Gone. But on top of that and exponentially worse was the reality that he was also abandoned by his father. Jesus Christ faced the weight of the guilt of millions of sins alone. Why did the father turn his face away? Because of ultimately what had to be done. The fourth and last component of the cross is that Jesus took on the wrath of God. We as humans cannot come up with an analogy for what Jesus went through on that cross. You go to the book of Exodus, even that the presence of God would leave everybody on their face. Just, just an instant of seeing God's presence, the thunder, the lightning falling on their face. Oh, what would it be like to face the deep and furious wrath of an, infinite, of an infinite God? We have no idea, but Grudem says this. Jesus became the object of the intense hatred of sin and vengeance against sin, which God had patiently stored up since the beginning of the world. God had not simply forgiven sin and forgotten about the punishment in generations past. He had forgiven sins and stored up his righteous anger against those sins. But at the cross, the fury of all that stored up wrath against sin was unleashed against God's own son. I remember when this clicked for me as a Christian. He took the wrath I deserved on that cross. And it wasn't just like an instant, like a second, and it's gone. Minute by minute, hour by hour, Jesus hung on that cross. And the craziest part of all of this to me is that he had you and me in mind the entire time. The good shepherd knows his sheep and he still went to the cross. Verse 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life For the sheep, as intimately as the Father knows the Son, that's how much Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus knows what you have done and what you will do. He knows it. He knows his sheep. Philip Keller, after unpacking, if we remember that quote from early about like, yes, we as humans are like sheep, foolish, fearful, all those things. He finishes the quote by saying this. Yet despite these adverse characteristics, characteristics. Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. Jesus knows the sins that you have committed and that you will commit. He knows the dark secrets that you refuse to tell anyone, yet he still looks you in the eye and says, I choose you. Jesus loves you more than you'll ever know. How do I know that? Because he stayed on that bloody cross until it was finished. John 19, 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. Voluntary, self-sacrifice. His life was not taken from him. He laid down his life and died for sinful sheep. That's what John means when he says, Jesus says, I lay down my life. That's what happened on that cross. But the beautiful reality of the gospel continues in verse 17 and 18 when John says, this is why the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that, underline those words, so that I may take it up again. Soul Company, Jesus didn't lay down and stay down. He didn't die and stay dead. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He was calling his shot. Anyone can lay down their life, right? And like when you think of just physical existence, people could not, not only risk their life, but lay down their life for others. But then they're just dead. But only the Son of God brings himself back to life. John 20 through 21, the final chapters of John, we see that Jesus rises from the grave three days later. Christian, this is the linchpin of our faith. If Jesus stays in the grave, we've got a dead Messiah, lifeless in the tomb, just like every other religion. But that's not what happened. He defeats death, but not only death, he defeats sin and Satan. TKO to all of our greatest enemies, they're done. Salt Company, never forget the horrible reality of what happened on that cross. Daily remind yourself of the blood that was shed on your behalf and the grace that was offered to you on that cross. But also never forget that the good shepherd laid down his life, but he didn't stay in that grave. He rose again and is alive today. This is our hope in this life. Jesus died and was raised again. So my question tonight to you is what is your response What is your response? Verse 19, Here was the response of the crowd. The Jews were divided because of these words. They were divided. This is not just like a, oh, this is like a John, Jewish, New Testament reality. This is a reality today. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is extremely polarizing today, which means you have two paths. You believe in him and follow him as your good shepherd, or you do not. There's two paths. That's why people were divided, two paths. And now that you know what happened on that cross, my question tonight is what is your response? Some of you like me might have grown up hearing, I know Jesus died for my sins, but I ask you tonight, do you? Did you actually know what Jesus did on that cross? And will you tonight believe? Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The good shepherd tonight is inviting you into his flock. Will you put your trust in the good shepherd and the finished work of the cross? I pray you would tonight. And if you've committed your life to Christ and you say, I I follow the good shepherd, my, my plea to you tonight is will you find rest in the good shepherd? Sheep have one job. What is the sheep's one job, one responsibility? Sheep, all you got to do is this. What is it? Follow the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. It's so simple. They go where he goes. They rest when he rests. They follow the shepherd. That's it. Some of you tonight. Some of you tonight, I just want to, like, look you in the eyes, and all I want you to hear tonight is this. Trust Jesus and calm down. Follow your good shepherd and relax. Some of you tonight have come in with your shoulders next to your ears holding the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I'm saying, just drop it all off at the foot of the cross and follow your shepherd. Rest in him. He cares for us and he is completely in control. We are vulnerable sheep who can find rest in our good shepherd. So will you follow the good shepherd and find rest in who he is and what he's done for you? Let me pray for us.